The Sports Gambling Podcast Network is sponsored by MyBookie.ag. Log into MyBookie now and get yourself a 50% deposit bonus up to $3,000 simply by using the promo code SGP50. With MyBookie.ag, it couldn't be more simple. You play, you win, you get paid. The Sports Gambling Podcast Network is also sponsored by Oddshark. Head over to Oddshark now to get free picks from the supercomputer and expert writing staff. You'll also find the latest odds for every big game and fight from all the major online sportsbooks and casinos and betting stats and trends you won't find anywhere else. So head over to www.oddshark.com and give them a follow on Twitter at Oddshark. <laughs> listening to the EPL show here on the Sports Gambling Podcast Network. Follow the Sports Gambling Podcast Network on Twitter at the SGP Network. Straight off the bat, we'll start with some apologies. First of all, the apologies for my voice and how I sound. I'm extremely ill. Um, I'm actually better now, which is why I'm able to turn out this podcast as I'm recording it here on Friday morning here in the UK. The second apology is because this should really be out on Thursday night, but I was in no state to do it yesterday. I've been very ill since Wednesday. I think Wednesday was the worst day by far. And therefore, the third apology comes for the fact that the lock dog tease was not put on the Sports Gambling Podcast NFL show because there was no way that I was able to record that and get that in in time. I wasn't even thinking about it, to be honest. I was I was honestly just thinking about recovering from this flu. And uh, as we do this on Friday morning, I think I've reached a point where I can put out an acceptable podcast. So this isn't going to be my best work, but um, bear with me um, in the meantime. We are coming off a decent midweek podcast where we missed out on a parlay, but we did nail the lock with Tottenham beating Southampton. Sitting at Wembley Stadium watching that game was definitely where I first started to feel this illness coming on, um, sitting out in the cold, Wembley, the rain, the rainy seats, wet ass, wet feet, rained a little bit during the game as well. Yeah, I think generally, in hindsight, probably would have given that a miss and stayed at home and watched um, Manchester United versus Arsenal, which I watched on my phone whilst sitting at the Tottenham game. But the reason I did this is because it was some kind of uh, double date scenario, which goes to show the theory is true that men love sports, but they will put pussy on a pedestal before everything else in life. So although, yes, I should have stayed at home and watched Man United versus Arsenal, double date scenario, four football tickets to Tottenham Southampton. And unfortunately, I ended up being there. And therefore, I'm now sick. But um Let's not go on and on about that. Let's let's try and get this show done. Let's power through and make you some money on the EPL this week. Uh, I will be putting the lock dog tease at the end of the show um, to compensate for the fact it wasn't on the um, Sports Gambling, Gambling Podcast. And don't worry, the lock wasn't going to be the Tennessee Titans, although I did bet them last night to, to beat the Jags um, and cover that four and a half. The Jags have obviously given up this season. so But no, it wasn't going to be the lock. I currently lead Kramer 
four-one. Uh, sorry, four-two in that. I'm four and one, and he's two and three. So hopefully we can get this one and done and dusted and prove our point before the end of the regular season. So that lock dog and he's will be coming at the end of the show. We just after the lock dog parlay from the EPL. Um, just one last plug. I want to get out the, the month concluded the month of November concluded and the final PNL at lockbetting.com sat at £2,293, narrowly short of the month before, where it was at £2,437. Obviously, these are extraordinary months where we're winning over 22 units both months. That cannot be the expectation that can be brought forward into every month. However, if you sign up to the site lockbetting.com, there is a profit guarantee a profit guarantee, which means if there's no profit there, you'll get your money back. Uh, the only thing I do guarantee is profit, although I think any month where I fail to make at least a five, six, seven unit profit would be a massive disappointment. Not only has there never been a month where I've never made profit, there's never been a month where I didn't make over an eight unit profit. So I think 800 pound profit is the worst month I've ever had, which is which is pretty good going when you consider how bad uh, Euro 2016 was for, for betting. Um, if you guys can cast your mind back that far. So yeah, check that out, logbetting.com. That's where the European show will be appearing this weekend as well. The European show will be out early this week because of the Juventus versus Inter Milan game. That is, of course, the biggest game in Italy's, and that will be happening tonight. So the European show will be available on lockbend.com as soon as I'm done recording this show. So it will be posted simultaneously. So the European show is available now. Moving on to the Premier League, let's have a look at what we have this week. We have a massive game coming up tomorrow afternoon with Chelsea versus Man City. Obviously, that will be the headline game of the week that most people are turning their eyes to. However, as always, there are an interesting slate of games to look at. Starting right off the back with Bournemouth versus Liverpool, which in the past has been an absolute attack fest because Liverpool were no way near as defence-minded as they are nowadays, or this season in particular. Uh, Bournemouth are 9-2, 16-5 the draw, and 4-7 on Liverpool. Yeah, Liverpool, as I just said, have seemingly gone for a more defence-minded mode this season. However, it might have been a stigma that was attached to them more so um, at the start of the season because they were picking up clean sheets and and narrowly winning games with those clean sheets. However, the clean sheets were something that this club desperately needed. They desperately needed to address those. And in recent weeks, they have improved attacking-wise. They should have put a lot more goals past Everton than the one that they did score. But likewise, at the other end, Everton probably should have taken a few of their chances as well. That game was a bizarre 1-0 because it had enough chances to be a 3-2. But they did put three past Watford before that and they did put three past Burnley in the second half when Burnley went 1-0 ahead. We saw Liverpool increase their firepower and come back in the second half and win 3-1. And and when I say that, I don't mean Burnley went ahead and Liverpool made changes in the second half. I mean Burnley went ahead in the second half and Liverpool were able to come back immediately in the second half. So 
it does go to show, I think, that the tactics are not completely out the window. It is a deliberate strategy that Liverpool are implementing to play a more conservative style. However, if need be, if need be, they can make the changes and be it the formation, be it pressing a bit more, they can implement change and beat you and score three goals against you relatively quickly as they did against Burnley. And it does make me think now that although a lot of people have given Manchester City the title already, maybe, maybe, just maybe, Liverpool are only trying to stay in touch at the moment simply because if they do play the traditional Klopp full press, then they're going to knacker their players out before the end of the season. And maybe this is a tactical thing where Liverpool aren't killing themselves and are not getting themselves out of second gear because they're able to win most of the games without doing so. Maybe what you'll see in the latter half of the season is more like we saw against Burnley and more like what we saw against Watford is Liverpool pressing from the outset and killing games off early. Um, I mean, the thing is, is that with Virgil van Dijk naturally there alongside Joe Gomez and Alisson in goal, you're automatically going to concede less goals. So if Liverpool went full out, full court press like they did last year and left themselves susceptible to attacks at the other end, they now have the defenders and the goalkeeper to counteract that. I mean, let's let's be honest. I don't like Liverpool, but Carrius is the reason they didn't win the Champions League last season. His mistakes alone gifted Real Madrid two goals. Had it gone to a penalty shootout or extra time, who knows would have won? Who would have won that game? But what we do know is, without Carrius in goal, that game was nil-nil before Carrius's mistake, and take away the two mistakes he did make, and that game equates to a one-all draw. So there's a lot to take into consideration there. But it's—I don't think Liverpool have all of a sudden forgotten how to attack. I don't think that the team has been has been disrupted to a point where. They've forgotten what they did last year. <coughs> Players are out of sync with each other. I mean, yes, it does look like uh, Firmino and maybe Mo Salah are slightly off the pace a bit more than they were last year. Um, I don't think the World Cup is a great excuse because Firmino didn't even kick a ball at it. And Mo Salah was home after three games and went there with an injury anyway. But I would say that um, in the second half of the season, this this team will probably find another gear. And um, what we saw in previous seasons against Bournemouth in this particular game, I'm not sure if we're going to get that massively attack-minded game. I wouldn't be surprised if we did, because as I said, they've had that 3-1 against Burnley, the 2-1 defeat against Paris Saint-Germain, the 3-0 win at home against Watford. But... I think the safest bet in this game is just to take Liverpool to win because no matter how they're playing, no how no matter how much I don't like Liverpool, Liverpool are managing to win these games and stay in touch. And I just feel that they are holding something back and we may see the full court press and and whatnot when it's entirely necessary. Um, the prices on this game, if I didn't give them out already, were Bournemouth 9-2, 16-5 the draw, and 4-7 on Liverpool. But you can get 4-6, to six, minus 150. Um, I would bet Liverpool in this game. Up next is the 3 o'clock kickoffs on Saturday afternoon. Just to let you know, because of Champions League this week, um, there are relatively... 
boring games on TV on Sunday and Monday. So everything will be going down tomorrow on Saturday. Three games on TV, including Chelsea versus Manchester City, including the first one I just covered, the Bournemouth versus Liverpool game. Um, in this Arsenal game, Arsenal one to three to beat Huddersfield. It's nine to two to draw, and it's nine to one on Huddersfield. I think Arsenal are likely to massacre a team at some point. The last time they really massacred anyone was Fulham. Uh, they're managing to remain undefeated, as I said they would do against Man United. They did beat Tottenham, as I said they would do. My underdog winner last week, boom boom, and. Um, Obviously, I think that they'll win this game, but the worrying thing that I have with taking any kind of big bet with Arsenal to cover major handicaps is that they've not been leading a single game in the first half this season. It's an extraordinary stat that they have. Now, if you look at this um, for Arsenal to cover the minus two, it's available at seven to four. And Arsenal really should cover the minus two. It's just that statistic that scares me off where Arsenal haven't led a game at half time. And they, at one point, they weren't even really scoring that many goals in the first half. But they've overcome that and have now put some goals in the net. But but haven't been able to take the lead going into the half. They're 1-0 up against Tottenham, went in 2-1 down. 1-0 up against United, went in 1-0. The draw half-time in the draw and Arsenal to win in this game is 11-4. So that's a draw at 45 minutes and Arsenal to be winning after that full-time is 11-4. Um, I like a couple of other bets though. I like Arsenal to win to nil. The defence hasn't been relatively that great. Uh, your fantasy players would not have been picking up clean sheets, but the law of averages say that Arsenal will get one eventually and they are even money to get one here against Huddersfield. In addition to that, I do like playing this to a minus one level where Arsenal are four to five to cover the minus one. Uh, I wouldn't go as high as a seven at four to cover the minus two. I just think that I'm a bit worried about the, the second half statistic that I already gave out for you there. Up next, Burnley versus Brighton, where Brighton are 17 to 10 favourites to win at Burnley. Burnley are 2 to 1, and the draw is 2 to 1. Uh, I think Burnley have entered must win territory. They did overcome a bad start to the season and put a few wins together. And the theory was is that the Europa League was proving to be some kind of distraction that was somewhat sidetracking them from their Premier League aspirations. But there is no excuse for the way that they've played in, in recent games. Um, the thing is, is that for 60 minutes, if you look at the Liverpool game, the score was Burnley 1, Liverpool 0. The facts are, for 45 minutes, Burnley were level with Liverpool. And if it was a 60-minute match, Burnley would have beat them. So for 60 minutes, Burnley put out what was probably one of their best performances of the season. Now, Brighton ain't no Liverpool. So I feel if Burnley can get ahead in this game, they'll be able to hold on to it. I do like Burnley on the double chance, but I'm going to be a little bit more braver and take Burnley on the draw no bet, which is available at even money. Now, as explained to my members who... I sent a winning parlay to in the middle of the week. It did contain some draw no bet selections, which featured... Uh, West Ham, I believe, and Bournemouth against Huddersfield. It was a draw-no-bet parlay, and uh, it cashed it very easily because both teams won. Now, what draw-no-bet is, it's different to the double chance. The double chance is me in this game taking Burnley on the double chance would mean that I have the draw and the win. So all Burnley need to do is to avoid a defeat 
and that would be a winning selection. However, if you look at the prices of the double chance, it would be available at one to two. My selection is draw no bet, which is available at even money. As you can see, it's double the price. That's because a double chance is twice as likely because you get given the draw as a payout. On a draw no bet, you don't. It is exactly what it says on the tin. Draw no bet. If it's a draw, it's not a bet. It's void. The complications came for people when I inserted this into a parlay. Now, what a draw no bet does into a parlay is it completely voids the selection. So a three-team parlay with a draw no bet in it that ends up being a draw will automatically become a two-team parlay. So it's basically what you Americans refer to as a push. So the bet will be completely voided if it's a draw. So you are betting on one of the teams to win this game and uh, a draw will void it. So there is no draw. I think a lot of people wished that they'd bet draw no bet on the Dante Wilder Tyson Fury fight last week because the bookies absolutely cleaned up because the market for draw no bet was Dante Wilder at four to six on a minus 150 because of the unlikelihood on a draw in boxing, which is around about 50 to one. Um, the outright prices, which included a draw, was Deontay Wilder at 8-11. to 11. So very, very, very marginal difference. However, because people wanted to take that tiny little bit more of a payout, they lost the entire bet because people took the 8-11, to 11, did not take the draw no bet option at 4-6 to six minus 150, meant it was a three-way market as opposed to a two-way market. Three-way market included a draw. If you bet on it that way, you would have lost. So I think we've done enough coaching here for a draw no bet. If there really is any more complications, there's a Q&A show on, on lockbetting.com. I will readdress it again. But I think it's pretty self-explanatory. It says draw no bet. So it's a draw. It's not a bet. A double chance gives you two results. A draw or the team that you picked in that double chance. Um, moving on to Cardiff versus Southampton. I'm glad I just explained that because I'm going to do it again here. The prices for this game is Cardiff 9 to 5, 21 to 10 to draw, and 8 to 5 on Southampton. I like Southampton draw no bet here. Southampton on the double chance in this game are available at 2 to 5, which is outside of what we're allowed to pick anyway because minus 200 is my minimum. But they are. 10 to 11 on a 10 to 11 split here on the, the draw no bet so that's again very quick going to run through that draw no bet my theory is on this one is that Southampton are the team coming to this under new management and I always like to take a new manager taking over a team in a winnable game and this is a very winnable game against Cardiff who you guys know I think are one of the worst two teams in the Premier League alongside Huddersfield up next, my Manchester United take on Fulham, coming off a draw at home to Arsenal, where Man United are two to five to win this game. It's four to one the draw, and it's fifteen to two on Fulham. This is a tough game for me to bet because I can't go anything defensive with confidence because Man United haven't been defensively sound this season. I can't go for Man United to absolutely tonk anyone because Manchester United haven't tonked anyone this season. In addition to that, we don't know what the hell is going on with Man United's team selection at the weekend. They dropped 
Pog, uh, sorry, midweek they dropped Pogba and Lukaku, and they played relatively well getting that two-two draw against Arsenal. So you don't even know if those two people are going to feature in this team or come back into it. It's a really complex time at Man U, and. I can't just pick them outright to win this game. In addition to that, Fulham are under new management. So the thing that I'm going to go for is something that I have seen over and over again, and that's Man United to start slow. Now, in the last two games, obviously, that hasn't been the case. They've been action-packed. They went into halftime against Southampton 2-2, went into halftime with Arsenal 1-1. However, I do think that trends that have gone on for years and years that all of a sudden get blown up like they have done this week with all of these first half goals. I do think for the most part, they do come back down to normal. Now, obviously, we're not in the era of Lou Van Gaal at Man United where we had that massive string of nil-nils and we were able to cash in time and time and time again where the constant bet was Man United to be drawing nil-nil at half-time until eventually the bookies started to price it up at plus 150. It was so ridiculous. On this occasion, I'm not going for a nil-nil, but I do think that this is a must-win game for Manchester United. I think Fulham may be more conservative here as well under new management of Ranieri, who's not as reckless as Dukanovic was. I think Fulham may come here to sit. I think these two teams may take a look at each other. And I think we could get to half an hour here without a goal and maybe see a goal later on in the first half. But my bet on this game, and it's available at four to five, is for there to be under one and a half goals in the first half of this game. And as I said, that is available at four to five. I'm just going to check, double check that's available at four to five. I've just got it written down on my paper, but I want to check down on the actual site. Yep, it is. It's correct. It's available at four to five. Over one and a half goals in the first half is available at 10 to 11, but under one and a half goals is available at four to five. And that's what I think will happen in this game. I think it will be a bit of a slow burner here between Manchester United and Fulham with two teams in very different positions. Man United desperate to try and get into the top four. Fulham desperate not to get relegated. And um, I do think that they will be in a situation where they're having a look at each other. And Fulham coming to this with no expectations at all. They're not expected to win this game. This is one of Fulham's free hits. Obviously, much like the Chelsea game, Ranieri isn't expected to take anything from this. When he took over as Fulham manager he was expected to take points from the two games that he has taken points from, which were the two home games against Southampton and against Leicester. But he was not expected to take anything at Chelsea. He won't be expected to take anything here. Uh, There won't be any pressure. Fulham, as I said, although his first game was a massive goal fest, since then they lost 2-0 to Chelsea where... They went a goal down early and then got themselves organised and had some decent chances to get back into the game. And then, of course, the one all against Leicester. The goals have dried up here. They do seem to be much more of a um, a conservative team under Ranieri because he knows how to stay in this league. He's won this league before. So even though I don't fully agree with the appointment of, of Claudio Ranieri, who's very much, in my opinion, a man-manager... But um, it's working up until this point. I think four points 
out of a possible nine is a good as return as people could have expected. Maybe they were expecting to win that Leicester game. I wasn't. Leicester are a far better team on paper despite the current problems that seem to be going on between uh, Claude Puel and Jamie Vardy. But we'll address those because Leicester versus Tottenham is one of the televised games that will be on and we'll be covering that after the Chelsea-Man City game. We just have one more untelevised game to cover, which is West Ham against Crystal Palace, where West Ham are 6-5, to 23-10 to draw, and 9-4 on Palace. Um, West Ham are without Marco Nautovic and West Ham are very, very zigzag at home. They're getting much better here. They're getting more used to the stadium. The the problems don't seem to exist as much for Pellegrini, but they still have had some bad home defeats here this season. The 4-0 against Man City was embarrassing. Obviously, there was the 2-1 against Bournemouth earlier in the season, but as it's turned out, Bournemouth have ended up being a relatively consistent team who look like they will finish in the top half this season. So the defeat isn't as bad as it looked at the time. West Ham will still be targeting uh, top half football themselves, but they'll be expected to win these kind of games. However, without Marco Anatovic, I'm reluctant to pick them. In addition to that, um, Crystal Palace just came off the back of an absolute humiliating dicking at, at Brighton. Not only did they lose the game 3-1, they lost it to 10 men and... When Brighton went down to 10 men, they were only 1-0 up. By halftime, they were 3-0 up. They went 3-0 up with 10 men. So that is a humiliation that I expect Crystal Palace to react to. Um, I'm not taking Crystal Palace to win this game, but I am taking Crystal Palace to avoid the defeat in this game. And that's Crystal Palace on the on the double chance available at 8-11. to 11. So as I explained earlier, the double chance means that if Palace win this game or they draw this game, we win. So the draw counts. It's different to draw no bet. So we have the draw and Palace here available at 8-11. to 11. If we did want Crystal Palace on draw no bet, you would see what the price change was. It would be available at... Six to four. So if we wanted Crystal Palace on draw no bet, that would be available at six to four. As you can see, it's significantly, significantly more money because the draw pays you nothing and you're taking a chance on Palace to win and the draw will get you refunded. If West Ham win, you still lose the bet. On this occasion, we've decided to take lesser odds in order to gain a payout for the draw as opposed to allowing the bet to be voided for a draw no bet. So... Hopefully, we've cleared up double chance and draw no bet on this show. But like I said, I will explain any and everything on LockBetting.com. The inbox is always open to you guys, and there will be Q&A shows on there as well. Finally, we move on to a string of televised games, four of them to be exact, two on Saturday, one on Sunday, and one on Monday. The big one is Chelsea versus Man City, which I actually saw advertised during the NFL as well. So if people that think soccer is a part of shit in America are not interested, I don't think that's true at all because they advertised Chelsea versus Man City quite a few times during the Sunday night football. So there you go. Chelsea are huge underdogs here, 14 to 5, 13 to 5 to draw and 10 to 11 on Man City. I've decided, and I'm not doing this to make a point here or to bang the drum home, but I'm going for Chelsea here on the double chance. Again, <laughs> the double chance is available to us at even money. Um, the draw no bet, just in case you're curious, is available at two to one. 
one last time. The draw no bet means if it's a draw, you get refunded. The double chance means that if it's a draw, you win money. You just have to take lesser odds. So in this occasion, we're taking even money as opposed to two to one where the draw is voided. So I like this bet simply because Chelsea are coming off a defeat against Wolves. Manchester City are managing to win their games, but they're beating inferior opposition such as the likes of Watford and Bournemouth last weekend. This week, they travelled to decent opposition. Uh, it could be without the Aguero. We know they're going to be without Kevin De Bruyne. So I do feel this could be a good opportunity for Chelsea to catch Manchester City. Um, unbelievably, Sari, who started this whole season undefeated in all competitions, has now had a couple of defeats in his last few games and is coming under criticism for not knowing what to do with his team. He's specifically coming in under criticism for his use of N'Golo Kante because he doesn't like to use a ball-winning holding midfielder. He likes to play a footballing um holding midfielder which is Jorginho that's just the way that Sarri's always been that's how he was at Napoli and that's why he signed Jorginho to replicate Napoli to criticise the guy um, for coming in and playing his own style when you hired him and knowing what his, for what his style was he's retarded he was hired because he has a beautiful style of football that Chelsea want to see now if he implements that at the club and sees fit to play certain players in certain positions in order to implement the style that you hired him for in the first place, then how can you criticise the guy? Obviously, this wasn't going to be an overnight project. I think Chelsea have been spoiled by the start that they've made. And the thing is, is that I didn't necessarily hear Chelsea fans calling in and chucking this criticism at him because I think realistically the top four was as good as it was going to get for Chelsea, despite the fact that they did start mounting somewhat of a title challenge at the season. In addition to that, you can't criticise Sarri for the way performances have dropped. All of a sudden, two of the best fullbacks in the world haven't looked that great in defence. David Luiz has, has turned into David Luiz again. Eden Hazard has stopped playing. He's a must to take out of your fantasy teams at the moment. Giroud isn't scoring. Marat is only scoring against bad teams. So... It can't entirely be put onto Sarri, but they are focusing on the one area that can be, which is usage of Jorginho and Kante and the fact that he's not using that ball-winning midfielder and going with the negative option of using two holding midfielders as opposed to using one holding midfielder and two attacking midfielders. You'd think that that would be seen as a positive and making people happy and it did until these arseholes lost two games and decided that Sarri didn't know what the fuck he was doing stupid he knows exactly what he's doing um, you can't exp I mean losing to Tottenham isn't a massively outrageous result Tottenham have been in the top four for the last two seasons and they're in the Champions League and they could still go through to the next round losing to Wolves Wolves I'll give it to you but freak results happen this is the fucking Premier League Wolves were a few minutes away from winning at Arsenal a few weeks ago and then they went on to lose at home to Huddersfield this is why this is the most watched league in the world because it does throw up results like that you can't turn around and think that your manager is suddenly a pile of shit because he lost the game it makes no sense at all and uh, this Chelsea team are still unbeaten at home under Sarri as well which is another important thing that, um, to look at when I make this pick of Chelsea on the double chance against City this Saturday on a game you can see in America because it was advertised twice during the Sunday night football. So uh, soccer is alive and well in the States. Up next, Leicester versus Tottenham. 
where Leicester are 13 to 5. It's 13 to 5 the draw, and it's even money on Tottenham. Tottenham didn't look great to be honest with you, in beating Southampton 3-1. Southampton actually missed a couple of open goals in that game um, and Tottenham looked like conceding over and over and over again and in the end they did. But Leicester in themselves aren't really showing themselves to be having great firepower. They have recently turned into somewhat of a Claude Puel team, which is a defensive team. Looking at their results, uh, they had that nil-nil in the draw, a uh, nil-nil draw against Southampton in the cup, and managed to progress on penalties. But looking at the other games around that, they had a one-all against Fulham away. They had the two-nil home win against Watford. They had the one-all draw at Brighton. So that's four games that cashed under two and a half goals. Prior to that, they had the nil-nil draw against Burnley. Before that, they had the 1-0 win at Cardiff. And prior to that, they had the one-all draw at home to West Ham, where they needed a last-minute goal to get back into that game. And obviously, that was the game where their chairman died. So looking at this, that's one-all against West Ham is one. One-nil against Cardiff is two. Nil-nil um, against Burnley is three. Nil-nil against Southampton is four. One all against Brighton is five. Two nil against Watford is six. And one all against Fulham is seven. Seven games in a row that have gone under two and a half goals. So what are we going to bet on this game? Obviously, you're thinking we're going to bet under two and a half goals. No. We are going to bet on Tottenham to win this game. Now, I think this game will go over two and a half goals as well. I think that trend of seven is going to be broken, which, by the way, four of those games have gone under one and a half goals. So four of those games haven't even produced two goals. So I think that trend will be broken. And I think what we'll see here is Tottenham beat a team that are seemingly in turmoil, not just recovering from the death of their chairman and kind of lethargically getting through the games, but also there seems to be a problem between Claude Piel and Jamie Vardy. Now, Vardy scored last week against Watford and was seen walking around inspecting the pitch at um, Fulham and then didn't start the game and wasn't even in the squad, which is ridiculous because this is not the player you want to go to war with if you're Claude Puel, especially when you're featuring in in seven relatively boring games of which you've only won one of those games and the other one that you won was via a penalty shootout. Sorry, they've won two, two of those games and technically three if you include the penalty shootout against Southampton, but officially that game goes down as a draw because the penalty is just the ways to decide who goes through. So you've beaten Cardiff and Watford, but you haven't really beaten any of the other five teams. So these fans have higher expectations of that. Don't forget, they once won the Premier League, even though they did it as massive underdogs. And when they did win the Premier League, they did it mainly because of Jamie Vardy and Ngolo Kante. Now, Ngolo Kante has obviously gone to Chelsea and he has his own problems there with the manager not knowing what position to play him in, which we already talk, spoke about earlier. However, Jamie Vardy is a striker. He's the number one striker at this club. But for some reason, Claude Piel doesn't fancy him. 
And despite the fact that he's been in and out of the team this season, Vardy's still the joint top scorer with James Madison with both players scoring five goals. I do expect Vardy to, to start this game. However, as I said, a club in turmoil. I have to go with Tottenham, although I wouldn't stop anyone from betting the over two and a half goals in this game. I think Tottenham are the right team to come here and break this trend. Tottenham have scored five goals in their last two games and uh, probably should have scored more against Southampton. The only distraction might be the fact that Tottenham have got Barcelona as a look ahead coming up in the Champions League in midweek in a must-win situation. Uh, looking at the statistics on this one, four of Tottenham's last five have gone over two and a half goals, but zero of Leicester's. And anyone that bets trends and numbers here would be going for the under two and a half goals here. It's available at um, 10 to 11, but it's a 10 to 11 split on the over two and a half goals. I'm going for the over, but uh, official pick here is Tottenham because I think this team are a team that are struggling with A, the distraction of the death of their chairman and B, some some turmoil, which hasn't come out openly, but it's obviously turmoil there where when Jamie Vardy isn't playing. So it's Puyol versus Vardy. And we have this at a lot of Premier League clubs where we have player versus manager confrontations that are going on. Obviously, the most public one is Pogba versus Mourinho. And that has resulted also in Pogba not playing in that team either. So this is definitely an interesting time for head coaches. What's what's interesting, or even more interesting, that we've just seen, in my opinion, a head coach fired in the NFL because of player power. Uh, because I think Aaron Rodgers has just chucked it in all season. I think that he has been responsible for McCarthy being fired. The Aaron Rodgers that we're seeing this season isn't the Aaron Rodgers. And you could turn around and say, oh, it's down to a knee injury or whatever. But I think it's more down to player power. His knee doesn't stop him throwing the ball into the ground. His knee doesn't give you an attitude problem and give you that kind of body language. Maybe the fact that he thinks his receivers are a pile of dog shit and his defense can't keep anyone from, can't stop anyone from scoring points. Maybe that might be a reason for his facial expression and his demeanor. But I think a lot of it is down to the fact that he's played down to get this coach fired. And that may be a hot take, but I have heard it also from other people that aren't Packers fans. So we are reaching a very interesting era of player power. And I just want, in, in all sports, all team sports, and I just wonder if that is going to be how it is in the future or whether there's going to be a bubble burst here and it's going to stop simply by managers taking the action to sit players out like Pogba, like Vardy, sit them out until they do what the manager says. So it's interesting to see who wins these duels, Pearl or Vardy, Pogba or Mourinho. It'll be interesting to see how the board go and how the people that run the club go and who they choose to support. In this, in, in this instance, the Green Bay Packers obviously went with Aaron Rodgers. I mean, McCarthy hasn't been lighting the world on fire anyway. The guy should have won more Super Bowls than he has done. So I completely agreed with that sacking. But I think in the Piro Vardy instance, Claude PL is going to go. I think in the Mourinho-Pogba incident, Mourinho is going to go. So I have the players winning every single time. The only one where I think... It's wrong that the player wins is that Pogba Mourinho situation because 
Pogba's performances on the pitch do not replicate his performances in the World Cup of France whatsoever. And um, he needs to take a good, long look at himself. I think he wants out of the club anyway. So I think even if you do end up sacking Jose Mourinho, I think you're going to lose Paul Pogba in the summer anyway. And um, that would be a shame for Man United top brass because all they fucking seem to care about is sending out emails with Paul Pogba and his stupid fucking haircut and his stupid fucking pout posing in different types of Adidas equipment. Trust me, if you subscribe to the Man United mailing list, you will be inundated with Adidas bullshit constantly every day. And it's not just Adidas, it's Man United... Man United Christmas jumpers that are not made by Adidas. It's Man United doing deals with clothing companies like True Religion and every single brand decide to go with Paul Pogba, even though this prick hasn't done anything on the pitch all season. Um, I mean, we can save this for a separate show where we can do a longer show where we just go off on Man United and there was a pitch made and we were about to produce a show with looking at Man United and the Dallas Cowboys as franchises because they are the two top franchises in the world and are really failing on the pitch. Obviously succeeding in marketing, but on the pitch doesn't translate to the size of the clubs. However, difficult podcast to do at the moment when the Cowboys just beat New Orleans and look like they're going to win the NFC East quite comfortably. So not really a good time to ship on the Dallas Cowboys when they're going on an amazing run. Finishing off this podcast here, the last two games, not too exciting, really. Newcastle versus Wolves, where Newcastle are 15 to 8, 2 to 1 the draw and 8 to 5 on Wolves. Uh, This is a difficult one because Newcastle seemed to find some form and then all of a sudden it went out the window where they lost 3-0 to West Ham. And then they responded by beating, uh, sorry, by getting a draw at Everton, which was a parlay buster for us in midweek. However, what's even more hard to cipher is who Wolves are because Wolves go and draw at Arsenal in a game they should have won and then beat Chelsea at home. But then they lose at home to Huddersfield 2-0. So, it's really difficult to get a gauge on either one of these teams. I think the only thing that that will definitely happen here is that both teams will approach this game more conservatively, trying to find some stability here. And I think that what you'll also see is a little bit of sods law coming into place where obviously fans will be seeing all of this good football on Saturday And then they'll be strapping in on Sunday and thinking to themselves, all we get today is Newcastle versus Wolves. Please let it be a good game to compensate for the fact that it's two average teams and it's the only game on and you're probably going to get yourselves a nil-nil draw. Um, It's just the way life works sometimes, unfortunately. I don't think it will be as extreme as that. My official pick for this game is under two and a half goals and uh, this, the key statistic that I'm leaning towards for this is that Wolves haven't scored more than once in any of their seven away league games this season and their record from those games is 1-2 drawn 2 and lost 3 and they've only netted 5 goals in total in their away games so I don't think we're going to be seeing too many goals on Sunday afternoon if I was forced to pick a winner in this game, I would lean 
very slightly towards Newcastle on the draw note bet, simply because I picked out a statistic where Newcastle's manager, Rafa Benitez, has not lost any of his 22 home Premier League games against a newly promoted club. So that certainly does bring in Newcastle as underdogs into play on the draw note bet at even money. And uh, possibly a good choice for my dog selection at the end of the show as we get closer to the lock dog parlay. We just have one more game to do from Monday and it's Everton going up against Watford where Everton come into this as four to five favourites. Watford come into this as the underdogs priced up at 15 to four and it's 13 to five to draw. I, as you know, like, like taking Everton at home. However, they have been susceptible to some slip-ups this season. Newcastle being quite a costly one last midweek where they cost us a parlay with that one-all draw. They did have enough chances to win that game. They had enough chances to get something at Liverpool as well. So this is an Everton team that are playing well, but probably need a proper striker. I think playing Richarlison as a false number nine isn't really working for him. Although it's good for people in fantasy to have Richarlison, you're getting a striker in midfield at only 7 million, but he's not a prolific striker. And that is the problem. Watford, however are conceding goals left and right. So this could be a good game for Everton to get right. I do prefer Everton on TV. So Everton have avoided defeat on Monday night football on their last 11 Monday night games. And the last one was a one-all draw against Manchester City of all people. Um, at Goodison, they're even better. Their record... He's incredible. Uh, the last time the Monday Night Footballs were at Goodison for a Derby Day defeat was on December the 19th of 2016. But that was only one of two Everton defeats in games shown on a Monday night in a past decade, which is a run of 21 matches. Obviously, the best Monday Night Football wins came when they beat Man United at the start of the 2012-2013 seasons, and they beat Manchester City 2-1 in December 2010. So this is a very, very odd thing. It's a very, very odd trend. I knew about it because I heard about it from John Briley, who's an Everton fan who's appeared on this podcast quite a few times over the years. So I'm going to ride that out 100%. Everton weirdly love Monday night footballs on TV and they're not really coming up against great opposition here. Watford did have a good start to the season, but getting Watford in free for all and getting Everton at home and getting Everton on TV and getting Everton on Monday with a trend behind them. The pick here has to be Everton closing out with the lock dog parlay. The lock run was extended with Tottenham winning against Southampton. So we're currently sitting at 14 and four for the season. The lock for this week is Arsenal minus one. It combines one of my favorite teams to bet on this season against one of the teams I love to bet against this season. I would be very surprised if Huddersfield come away from 
the Emirates having only lost by one goal or having taken anything from that game. So I think Arsenal at one to three are absolutely certain to win that game. Um, and I'm going to do what I don't normally like to do, which is double dip my lock and my parlay and put Arsenal outright into my parlay. But finishing up on the lock here, I would be extremely surprised if Arsenal don't have a party here in the second half and maybe even break that first half trend. It's an off-putting trend to take Arsenal up to minus two. The fact that Arsenal haven't gone into a second half leading, have, have gone into half time in every game, not winning. But with Lacazette fit again and Aubameyang firing... And Meza Ozil looking to get back into the team. Arsenal don't really have too many injury problems. Even Aaron Ramsey's been past fit today. They have so many goals in them. You just think that this would be a big statement game. And Arsenal, although they've been playing well, no one's really been thrashed since Fulham. And I think this one could be another one on the cards here. If you don't have a Bamiang or Lacazette in your team. These could be two players to get in. Uh, defensively, I don't really like Arsenal, so I'm not recommending putting in defensive players because they would only really be there for a week because... Arsenal could easily just go and start conceding again next week. So they're not a clean sheet team, but I do expect them to comfortably beat Huddersfield here. Moving on to the parlay. As I said, I am going to put Arsenal into the parlay. I'm going to once again go with Everton. Even though they let us down in midweek, I do think that it's a strong trend on Monday Night Football and they are a good team at home. They drew a win as well. They've been unlucky in their last two. And I'm going to finish it off with Man United at home to Fulham. £100 on that returns you £302. So we're getting over two to one on that one. The underdog, there were quite a few underdogs that I liked, but as I'm doing this show, some of them aren't quite underdogs anymore. Burnley are still a narrow underdog. Southampton have gone into favouritism at Cardiff. So, and and Chelsea, I don't like them enough to actually win that game. I just think they'll be able to definitely avoid a defeat. So I'm going to go for Newcastle. I like that record that Rafa Benitez has. I do think this will be a low-scoring game, and I think Newcastle may be able to nick this one. Closing out with my NFL lock dog tease. Wow, 50 minutes on the board here. I didn't think that I'd been talking for this long. What I think maybe it's because what I've done on this podcast because of my illness is that I have stopped started and um, taken a break after nearly every single game. And what you've ended up with is a 50-minute podcast. If you don't like 50-minute podcasts, I apologize for that. It's just the way the cookie has crumbled, unfortunately. And if you do like more content, good. You should be happy. Moving on, here we go. Lock dog tease for the NFL. My lock this week will be... The Houston Texans laying four and a half against the Indianapolis Colts. Everybody is confused by why this Texans team are on such an unbelievable run where they've gone on to win nine games in a row. I think it's time to stop being confused and start believing in this team because they do have a relatively decent schedule. And there is a possibility that this team could end up being the number one seed in the AFC because they have the most favorable schedule. And if they can win out and finish up on 13 and three, not only would they have won 13 games in a row, but I think that will be enough to keep them ahead of the chiefs and the new England Patriots who both have more difficult games ahead. What I'll be doing 
is a podcast and uh, if the sports gambling podcast want it i'll be sending it through to them otherwise it will be over on my other podcast station the dirty sheets where i will be covering what the seedings could be for the postseason so i'll be having a look at what teams will finish on record wise and where that will place them in the standings obviously just opinions and predictions i'm not saying i'm going to map out the whole NFL season for you guys so you can go and bet it on what I say it's just a bit of fun where we try and work out who's going to finish what because if I sit here and say to you the Houston Texans could end up as the number one seed from the current standings you you think I'm crazy people think it's crazy that the Texans have this record anyway but I think that that was done that was done like five games ago when they ended up turning a losing record into a winning record they're now nine and three you can't fluke your way to winning nine games it's stupid the only thing scares me about this is the Colts uh, divisional record and that almost put me off and I almost changed this to the Dallas Cowboys but I didn't stuck with it gonna stick with the Texans to cover the four and a half against the Colts my dog for this week i'm going to take the chicago bears simply because we need the chicago bears to win members of lockbetting.com have got money on the new orleans saints to win the nfc which would be a lot easier if the nfc had new orleans having home field advantage throughout the playoffs although i don't think that the bet is anyway done and dusted at all if new orleans come in as the number two because i think they can go to the rams and win as the packers nearly did earlier on in the season but obviously i'd like it a lot more if the saints were getting home field this is the only game the rams can lose so if the rams win this game they will be the number one seed for the nfc um so a very very big game here and uh, I think Chicago could show up here and win this game. Finally, closing out with the teaser, I've gone for the New England Patriots minus one and a half. Maybe stupidly, I've gone for the Green Bay Packers plus two. I just think Atlanta's season is done. And I think now Aaron Rodgers will turn up. Now he's got the coach fired and will show people what kind of quarterback he really is. And I wouldn't be surprised if the Packers put a real beat down on the Falcons. I almost like this enough to lock it, but don't like locking up my own team. So I didn't go ahead with that. And I'm going to take the Dallas, the Dallas Cowboys plus two and a half. They win this game. They win this division. The Eagles are done. Yeah, they've managed to, to rally and put up a, a win against the Skins who haven't got a proper quarterback. But I'm not, I'm not convinced here. I think the Dallas Cowboys are a far better team. If you beat New Orleans at home, you will beat the Eagles. No problem. So that concludes this week's EPL show. That also concludes your Lock Dog Parlay and your Lock Dog Tease. As I said, if you want my European show featuring Juventus versus Inter Milan, it will be out now, available at lockbetting.com. That's it from me. As always, good luck with all of your bets this weekend, be it EPL or the NFL or anything else that you choose to bet on. I'll be back with a Champions League show on Monday. Thanks for listening.
It's finally spring, and I'm saying goodbye snow, hello adventure. And during the Honda Dream Garage Spring Event, you can get epic deals on your favorite Honda model. Ready to get rugged? Then take the off-road in an all-wheel drive Honda SUV, like the CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, or redesigned Ridgeline. Want to take a spring road trip? Then check out a fuel-efficient turbocharged Civic or Accord. Say goodbye to winter, and hello to a new Honda. Don't miss huge savings during the Honda Dream Garage Spring Event. Now at your local Honda dealer.